Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 92, September 2023, we have reflecting on the road and navigating regrets in motorcycle travel. All that and more coming up. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped both shows by supporting with $50 or more for the month. Here we go. Robert Ogg, Brian Beach, Ingo Peters, Jim at Burns Group, and John Sear Bassey from Emmaus Moto Tours. It's so great to have this kind of support from listeners. You don't need to do $50, but if you do, you get a shout out just like I just did there on this show. Any amount will help. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, both shows that we do, Adventure Rider Radio, that's our flagship show. It's a weekly show. And this one that we do every month are very popular. It gets a tremendous amount of downloads, but very, very few people actually support the show. Please be one of the people that support. AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Now, I just mentioned Adventure Rider Radio. In case Raw is a new discovery for you, we do that other show every single week called Adventure Rider Radio. It is extremely popular. AdventureRiderRadio.com has all the information. Of course, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. This episode is brought to you by Fresh Tracks. Fresh Tracks provides team building programs for companies and groups. FreshTracks.co.uk. Now, here we go Adventure Rider Radio Raw for September 2023. from the Canoe West Media Studio deep in the wild forests of North America. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin. Today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start way over in Australia, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks. I don't know if it's morning or afternoon for you. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure either, Jim. No. <laughs> 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 no, it's morning and um, it's really early morning, but it, the it's light and it's going to be 20 degrees today, which is the warmest it's been here since uh, last warm weather, like before winter. So it's going to be a gorgeous day here in the mm. goldfields nice. of central Victoria. Yeah, the weather's coming good and um, riding season is upon us and we're ready to go. So been tinkering away in the shed and got a few bikes ready to roll. Uh, went out and had a little test ride the other day, didn't we, Shirley Ann, on an old 84 Suzuki and, um, yeah. Yeah, colour me surprised it was comfortable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious with your, your shop, Brian, where you have all your bikes in there. And I'm wondering, how do you how do you go about getting them out? Like when you choose one to ride, now, is this a, like a really wide shop where you just open up all the doors and ride them out? Are they lined up side by side or do you actually have to jockey a bunch to get them out? No, I can just, uh, the, the, the shed is uh, three car bays wide, then a workshop on the end. So I've got them all lined up so I can just back them out. And uh, just go. I've got the the two trail bikes up the end. I've got the little bikes and then the big bikes. And maybe I'm a bit OCD. I don't know. But um, yeah, they're all ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Michelle Lamfair is in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Hello, Michelle. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm uh, in South Dakota enjoying kind of a late summer day. I guess we're getting towards the end of summer in this part of the world. It's starting to cool off a little bit, have had some rainy days. And I always dread that because I know I haven't ridden enough miles yet this year. And I, mm-hmm. I hate that. So mm-hmm. yeah, 
but it's still gorgeous. And, and, um, yeah, I've got a couple more months. Do you feel, do you feel sort of rushed this time of year? Like, like with that feeling? Oh, definitely. And that's the thing. If I'm going to winterize my bikes, I keep thinking, well, wait, I don't want to do that yet. I want to push it off to the last possible moment yeah. and try and get as much juice squeezed out of the lemon, so to speak as <laughs> possible. So yeah, I'm, I'm still hoping, you know, I can ride here into the end of October, early November if the weather holds. So, so we'll see fingers crossed. And really it's probably a spectacular time here too with your colors. Oh, it is. And we actually had kind of a late spring and sometimes that doesn't always correlate to a late fall, but it is. It, it's still really super green around here. I haven't seen any leaves changing. We start to get a lot of golden leaves, aspen and, and birch turning golden kind of in the next week or so normally, but it, it isn't even starting to change color. So I think we're going to have autumn colors into early October, which is that's nice. That'll give us another month, hopefully, of some riding after that. Mm. Oh, good for you. Yeah, Our, ours yeah. are already. We're seeing signs already here. It's uh, it's inevitable. It's coming. The the old winter. Let's bring in Sam Manicom. He is in the UK. Hello, Sam. Hi, everybody. I have to say, I should have been recording this episode of Raw from the west coast of Ireland, but I'm not. Um, Birgit and I have long wanted to explore there, and it's at least ten years since I was in over in Ireland last time. And it was it was even more important because of COVID and family commitments, my work and Birgit's work. We actually haven't had a riding holiday together for four years, mm. and that's the longest ever for us. So we we um, we hatched the Ireland plan, um, and with due respect to going out for a month long ride, we set, we both set to making sure that our bikes um, were in top shape. And one of those things for Birgit's bike was that it needed a new brake disc. And the calipers needed reconditioning. Um, they've been on the bike for a long time, so um, it was going to um, make a lot of sense to get them sorted out. But long story short, we're a week late starting, and it looks like we're going to have another week before we can get away. So the rebuild of that caliper has not gone well to, uh, according to plan. It's a darn shame because we're not going to be able to explore anything like as much as we planned. But, oh well, we've not been um, uselessly using the time. So our to-do list is um, significantly shorter um, by mm. the end of this week. And our time will come. Another trip over can be done another time. Um, and life doesn't always run smoothly, does it? But keeping the situation in perspective... I'm very conscious of friends who are going through some big time um, strife in life at the moment. And I'd like to wish you guys really well. And I hope that your challenges come right much faster than you were hoping. And you know who um, you guys are. You're all raw listeners. So thoughts with you. Um, while nattering, um, some of you guys will have picked up that the simply brilliant Overland event in the UK has ended. Um, there were a lot of raw listeners um, at the show for um, the announcement, and it was great to see you guys. I do wonder when our paths are going to cross again. Um, what happened was after 10 years of just motorcycle event brilliance, organizers Paddy and Saul decided that they needed to do what comes naturally to them. They're both overlanders and holding down full-time jobs and families' needs and the event's needs stopped them traveling. Um, so <laughs> next year, they're heading off both of them with their families and doing lots of traveling. Oh, and so I'd like done. to give them... So, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Sam, but uh, when you said finished, I thought you meant wrapped up for the season. Do you mean actually nope. done? Actually done, done. Uh, that's too that's bad. It. Mm. 10 years of just fantastic events. 
Um, and that's it. I mean, of course, we're all being very optimistic. Well, there are one or two sceptics, um, but all of the rest of us are being really optimistic. And we just hope that um, after a couple of years of um, doing um, family travels and solo travels and so on, that um, they'll be um, up for making it happen again because they did such a, a fantastic job with it. Pure inspiration and a lot of laughs. Um, I think we're all missing the event already, but um, yeah, um, huge thanks to um, Paddy and Saul and Nick and um, the, all the volunteers and the presenters and the sponsors and everybody who was involved in that event because they, they just simply created something very special. And um, any raw listeners who um, have been to Overland event are probably going to be sitting firmly nodding their heads there. So yeah, absolutely brilliant. Kind of sad, but totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm sitting here nodding my head too, Sam. I I was sad to hear the news, but certainly happy for uh, Patty and Saul to hopefully be able to to go out and have some adventures of their own again, as they so rightly deserve. And um, I just, uh, I second your your wonderful words. It's, it, it was a fantastic event and series of events that they put together winter and summer and man, did they build the community and provide such an opportunity. So yeah, it, it will be missed and was very much enjoyed by all. Oh, nicely put Michelle. So glad that you had a chance to be over for one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, yeah, we, we attracted quite a lot of you guys from North America over the years. <laughs> you that did. Really good. <laughs> Yeah. Let's bring in Grant Johnson. Grant is in British Columbia, Canada. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back again. It's been, it feels like it's been a long time, but it's only been a month, but that's okay. We're back. But Susan and I were very frustrated yesterday. We've been actually very frustrated all summer long with the server move. We've been working flat out on the website, getting it moved and refurbished and fixed things. There's so many little things that break and then you try to figure out what is wrong here? Why is it working? We had some other people helping and we had a guy in Turkey helping and another guy here in town here helping and some people in the UK helping. We've kind of more or less got it done, but it just totally destroyed our summer riding season, especially with with all the smoke we had from the fires. The air was so bad, it was recommended not to go outside at all, much less go out and do anything like riding. So we were thinking, oh, we get some riding in. We did a ride a week ago, and then we went out. We said, oh, we're going to go for a ride. We're going to get a ride out tomorrow or yesterday. And uh, the sun was out. It was a beautiful day. It wasn't too hot. It was perfect riding weather. We're starting a little bit of leaf color change. Really nice. Could all suit it up, put on intercoms, and Susan's intercom didn't work. What the heck mm. is going on here? So we're futzing about, futzing about, finally give up on it. Got another one that didn't quite work. And finally we got it so that she could talk to me, but I couldn't talk to her. Now there's, there's issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> However, we said, okay, this will do. We're going. So we got all dressed up, helmets on, push the button and I went, and that was it. Flat battery. Flat battery. That battery is three years old. It's been on a charger its entire life. And last week, I pulled it off the charger, fired it up, and it was perfect. No problem all day. Started to bang, bang, bang. It was great. Then when we got home, I didn't bother putting it back on the charger. I mean, come on. We're going to go for a ride in another week or so, right? Well, obviously, there's something not quite right. The battery's dead or there's a parasitic draw or something. Anyway, it was dead. And I was very, very unhappy. (sighs) So did you end up boosting it and just going for a ride anyway and hoping it charges and 
well, let's put it this way. I might have done that. Susan said no. She didn't she want to be stuck this, on the side of the road somewhere. No, no, no. And I understand that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that just sucks. <laughs> so instead we went for a car drive just to get out and do something, go somewhere. <laughs> we did, I, and we did the same route we were planning on doing on the bike. You know, talking of being out and about, um, with all of the, the fires and the smoke and everything else, and you're talking about leaves beginning to change, I mean, isn't the whole of Canada covered in a layer of sooty mm. grime? I mean... Uh, well, if you're going to go out and sit, uh, sit in your garden and have dinner at the table that's been sitting out, you definitely do a serious clean on it every day. Yep. Mm-hmm. It gets kind of grotty. But it's it's getting better. The the smoke is better. I can look out here, and yes, I can see the mountains. It's a little soft, but yeah, air quality is adequate at the moment. But yeah, there's a fire burning ten miles from here. Not a big one, but it's burning. Yeah. Oh, we've got big mountains right here. I mean, like right outside my window. If I go one mountain to the left, that's sixty two hundred feet. You know, it's a serious mountain, and it's steep, and there's, it's all forest. So, wow. yeah, also lots of opportunity for fires. And PC's just been hit so hard. This is like the worst ever. The numbers, uh, I was just looking at the numbers for uh, the amount of acreage burned in Canada. Like we're talking five, ten times what it's ever been. Yeah. yeah wow. That's crazy. Awesome. Yeah, spectacular. So, big problems. But anyway... We were going to go for a ride. It was going to be so nice. So what I was going to ask Grant there is, is so when you went for the drive, did you drive or did Susan? I drove. Oh, you drove. Because I was going to say, I pictured you, when you said that, I pictured you in the passenger seat just staring out the window glumly. I could have been on the bike. And, and as you yeah. had worked so hard with the intercoms, did you both wear the helmets just so that you could thank you? <laughs> But she wouldn't have been able to talk to me. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, wait a minute. She would have been able to talk to me. I couldn't talk to her. That was the problem. Yeah, and you don't like that, do you? You were happy to turn off your intercoms. You didn't hear her, but boy, yes. when the shoe's on the other foot. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, it's nothing, nothing no, it was worse. a nice drive anyway. Nothing worse than a flat battery. I was going around oh. Australia and, and I mean, we were staying in this little one-horse town in the middle of uh, the back blocks of Queensland and came out in the morning. It was a beautiful, crisp, clear morning, frost on the ground. And everyone geared up, uh, my two mates that were with me geared up and uh, we put everything on the bike and all the lights come on, I hit the button, nothing. And Mm -hmm. uh, you think, oh, no. And there was a machinery uh, place which sells big uh, harvesters, you know, like those monsters that you see stripping the wheat and all that sort of stuff. And I went down there and you know what? They had a battery for an ATV that fitted my bike. So it only held us up for a little while. But, you know, you you find things like that in all the strangest places. Yeah, your story would have been so much better if you bought a battery meant for the combine, you know, and then mounted (laughs) on the back of your bike and ran the wires. That would have been a great story. Well, I don't know if you've heard uh, Peter and Kay Forwood, the couple that went around the world on the Harley and hit every country in the world. Their Harley battery died, so what did they do? They bought a car battery and put it in the saddlebag, and it stayed there for the rest of their trip. Yeah, yeah that, that, that would, that would certainly work. work. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah. you know, I, I got an ATV one time. Somebody did that. They t- they put a bigger battery in the box, like put a box in the back and put a bigger battery on it just for better starting power or whatever it was. Yeah. But I was going to ask just a, a quick question of everybody as far as batteries go and as far as di- batteries buying a, dying on a motorcycle, has anyone added an extension to their positive side or whatever kind of extension to the wire so you can boost your, your motorcycle without getting at the battery? Has anyone yep. done that? Yep. Nope. Nope. Well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you put it, well, what weight of wire did you put in there? Because uh, you're going to need some serious wire if you're oh, going to yeah. actually jump yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly the same weight that was needed. Because with the 1150 GS, if you have a good close look at them, to get to the battery, you've got to lift the petrol tank. So mm. uh, if you ever, if your battery died on you uh, and you wanted to jumpstart it, you basically had to lift the, the, the petrol tank to get at it. So what I mm-hmm. did is I got um, I made up um, extra uh, bigger terminals, sort of take an extra heavy wire and ran two down underneath the seat and take them up underneath the seat, so that if uh, the battery did die, I would at least be able to jump start it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to do. It. I did it on my KLR, and, and it's it's a very handy way. But you can add plugs to it as well. You can set it up with oh, a yeah. plug setup, and then put a, a couple of clips on it or something, whatever you want on the other side. You, you mean yeah. I'm not supposed to have the bare wires sticking out? On your bike, Sam, you're supposed to. That's that's the way it works, especially when it's red. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't yours just a bare copper strap anyway, Sam? When that's yeah, your like, I, there was something about the colour of bare copper. You know, I just liked it. It just looked <laughs> yeah. good. Now, Birgit's R60 slash 5 had battery problems for a long time and we just could not work out what, what the issue with it was. So um, we were quite often ending up having to jump start it. And inevitably, it would die just after she'd ridden a few few yards down the road and the bikes were all loaded up with the kit. So we, we both ended up putting these extensions to our batteries and just a quick hop with jump leads. And I've never taken mine off. Um, I've started other pe- people's bikes, you know, really easily just because I've got that simple access. So yeah, it's uh, handy. Left it with it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be that, but you just have to match the bat- the, the wire going to the size of going to your battery. I don't know whether it's yeah. a, maybe a yeah, four gauge right. or something like that, or a six mm-hmm. gauge, something that's like right. that. And, uh, and just yeah. find a good solid place for the terminal. My, my trick was I found a little plastic cap to cover the, the bolt that I had there. And it, um, it worked out great. I mean, anytime I had to boost it, which uh, as you can imagine, once I did that was just about never, but, uh, <laughs> but it was handy. Of course. It's always a wise. You, you had yeah. it there. You yeah, had, had it there. there right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Well, on my dirt bike, on the Suzuki, I put in one of the lithium um, restart batteries. So if your battery dies and you, it won't start, you can reach in and push a button at the back of the battery or the top back of the battery on my bike and push that. And it's enough for a start. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. So there's that, that it will never go down to the point where it won't start and it's done. You just, but if it gets to there um, in normal use, you push the button and you've got that reserve kept there specifically for that. Yeah. I used to carry one of of those spare um, battery um, boosters, you know, those power packs. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've got to be careful with them. I, I, I packed it in a pannier with stuff on it. And obviously didn't like the weight on it. It started to expand like it was going to blow up. So you've really got to be careful with them. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them. They just, I see too many lithium batteries that that do that expanding thing and you go, and you hear stories about the time. They'll think about your your cell phone has it, right? I mean, everybody's phones and all, they're everywhere now. 
Yeah. Well, it's also you got to make sure you use the correct charger. We keep hearing stories here about uh, people's houses oh, yeah. literally burned down because they're using uh, a stronger charger or something than the uh, electric bicycle, the e-bike was supposed to have on it. And the oh. battery just explodes. Right. There's been three or four of them in the last couple of months around here. So That's interesting. Um, Natasha Gaban gave me... Um, one of her backup charges, and because um, she, she's got three of them, and um, this is an American one, and I went to plug it in over here, and it won't even recognise um, British charge. So I thought, oops, probably mm-hmm. the wrong current. I'll better pull yeah. that straight out. Yeah. Um, didn't even think about it. There we are. Should know better. Oh, hey, wait, you guys, we're, we're recording. We've got topics yeah. to do. Oh, hang on. Oh, we have. Oh, let's, yeah. What? Let's get, Stop. What? Geez, let's get into that. <laughs> you know, and the, and the topics, I got to say, I, I have to say, I'm excited about this. I really enjoy what we're talking about today. I mean, these kinds of topics, mistakes and regrets, because I think it's stories like these that you all have to tell today. They'd sort of give an insight not only into what unique lives you guys lead, why you do it, who you are, but there's another valuable component. And I think it's probably the most valuable component. And that's the edification factor. It kind of reminds me of what Clinton Smout often says in our Rider Skills program on Adventure Rider Radio. He always says, let your friend go first. And we're quick to laugh at that. But I think there's real long-term value in that statement, let your friend go first. Because by letting your friend go first, you learn from your friend's mistakes and misfortune. So the reason I wanted to point that out is because I, I wanted to take the time to explain how valuable it is to hear the details of your mistakes, of the stories you guys are about to tell, so that you don't hold back in the telling of it. You don't sort of let your guard slip away. Don't worry about sounding silly. So, so Art, does that seem like a bit of a sales pitch for you? It makes me nervous now. I don't think I've got anything that's that funny. It's just made me want to have a golf of scotch. So, so this is called, in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. An extreme travel situation where in hindsight, different choices could have been made. And I know you guys have, have thought some about this. And I was kind of thinking like, who would I start with, with this sort of thing? I, I think Grant, I've got to start with you. <laughs> I, I want to go to Thanks you first. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um, okay. And this is being stupid, sloppy, not being careful. We were crossing a border in East Africa, and don't ask me which one it was, but somewhere around Tanzania. I don't think it was Tanzania. I think it was, I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Going through the border, going through the paperwork, it was fairly straightforward and everything was cool. And I'm putting my paper away and getting this sorted and going to another guy and get some more paper and you stash your paper away going to another guy and you get some more paper and you stash it away. And then we go to leave and the guy at the gate says, where's the paper with the stamp on it? What paper with stamp on it? I don't have any paper with stamp on it. You didn't give me any paper with stamp on it. So he calls over the guy that's supposed to give it to you. He says, I gave it to you. He says, I don't have it. You didn't give it to me. Something wrong here. And I got quite angry. It was, it was, it had been rather frustrating time and, I was sure I didn't have it, and, I just, and finally they said, "Okay, just just go, just go." You know, didn't they knew that they had given me the paper? Mm-hmm. Good enough, so get out of here. And I felt like a bit of a shit. And when I found the paper in my pants pocket that evening, <laughs> I really felt like a shit. <laughs> when you say you got angry, did you, you showed them you were angry. You mean? 
Oh yeah, I let them know I was angry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only time I've ever done that at a border crossing ever, and that includes Egypt, which is the place designed to make you angry. Make you <laughs> yeah, absolutely to right just oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so in in doing that though, then did that change the way? Like, was that maybe the start of something? Did that stop you from showing your anger, or did it change the way you deal with things? Uh yeah, it made me a lot more aware of of two things. One that there's no point in getting angry at them. It's, it's just a waste of energy. Doesn't do you any good. Although in this case, it actually did because they told me to leave. <laughs> so, so from that point of view, it didn't work. But it was just it was rude. It was inconsiderate. It was stupid, and it was my own fault because. For once, I did not put all my paper in the same pouch. Normally, it all goes in the same place, but this time it was, it was hot, and I didn't have my jacket, I didn't have my pouch on me properly, and I was just kind of scattered. I don't know, my brain was not working right, just too hot. And I stuffed this piece of paper in my pants pocket, which I never do. That's just plain dumb. Yeah. But that's what I did, and that's why I was convinced I didn't have it, because I checked all the usual places I might have put it, even though there is only supposed to be one. There's supposed to be one pouch, all the paper it comes out of, and all the paper it goes back into. It's supposed to be the one, play, the one place, and that's it. And I broke my own rules, broke my own system, broke my own methodology, yeah. and it was, it was ugly. Yeah. Um, so I feel really bad about that. And if I could remember who it was and I could go back there and apologize, I would. <laughs> <laughs> routine, you know, it's incredible what, what routine does. And, and I think we've all done this before. You, routines are so important. Yeah. So like this whole thing with um, the border crossings, you have to have a routine because they are disrupting any possible routine you might have or trying to disrupt it. It's all strange. It's all weird. You don't understand what they're doing. You don't know why you're going over there. You don't know what you're doing. If you don't have a consistent routine with your stuff, you're screwed. And that's basically what happened to me because I, I, I allowed myself to get disrupted. So Grant, let, let me just ask you just for, just for everyone's benefit here. If you don't know what they're going to ask you and what their what their routine is at the border, what routine do you use for yourself to keep yourself organized? I, I heard you you did say something about keeping everything in one place. Everything in one place. I have a pouch that I wore around my waist that held all the paperwork, passports, bike registration, all that stuff. Um, we would get it out of the various hiding places that we had on the bike the night before we were approaching a border and uh, put it all into this one place so that everything is in one place instead of having to, oh yeah, your Susan's passport's in her jacket, my passport's in my jacket, and this registration is in that place. Blah, blah, blah. You, know, you, you get so disconnected. Because you're not going to put everything together for the the fear of theft. I mean, you're usually separating yes. things for safety, but that makes sense. You do it the night before to prepare, then going through your yep. border crossing, and then of course unsorting it again, like stashing it. Yep, that's right. right. As, as, theoretically, when you're finished at the border crossing and out, you should then at that point stop and put everything away. But generally, it's more hassle than it's worth, and there's right. people around, and you don't want to see them doing what you're doing. So basically, our method is just get the heck out of there. Be careful until we get to where we are for the night. And then sort it all out again. But routine, routine, routine. Yeah, absolutely yeah. critical. Okay, that makes sense. Shirley, I, I, I want to jump over to you on this one. In hindsight, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Well, I was kind of thinking of more serious things than losing stuff. I mean, I've lost stuff. I've lost underwear and T-shirts. and um, <laughs> My biggest regret um, on our trips, um, not, no, not regret, we, what we shouldn't have done 
Yeah. Or perhaps what we should have done is when we were in Tajikistan um, and Brian was talking to some Italian travellers who were heading the opposite direction to us who said, don't go down that road because clearly from now on in it gets rougher, much gnarlier, there's a huge river crossing, there's two of you on one bike which makes you, so, you know, you're so heavy, you're travelling on your own. There was a whole list of reasons. Alas, my travelling companion did not listen to the Italians <laughs> And we travelled on up that road and after getting bogged in the sand, that was okay. Coming off in the sand, well, that was okay. Coming off on the um, very rocky road was not okay. Mm. So we finally decided that um, perhaps could have been that I was sitting on the side of the road weeping. That could have been part of Brian's <laughs> thought process uh, that we turned back and we were going to head straight back to the hotel we'd been in the night before in a town called Ishkashim in Tajikistan. And I remember thinking that this hotel was really nice because it's, you know, it had sheets on the bed and it looked clean. And we got back there and the guy who ran the hotel was very concerned because we'd come off the bike. Did we need to see a doctor? Was everything okay? And we went into the same room we had the night before and we were sitting on the side of the single beds and I looked down at the one I was sitting on and looked over at the one Brian was sitting on and I said to him, you do realise that these sheets have not been changed since oh. we left here this morning and I just wonder how long they had not been changed before we slept in them last night. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they didn't expect you to come back. No, and catch them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was right. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the good thing about it was um, the town had a shop that sold vodka, uh, which I – found very quickly and that night I was able, not able to eat the food because he was the man who served mystery meat stew, which really didn't do my appetite much good, but the, the vodka went down okay. But from there on in, I've always said to Brian, if you meet Italians and they tell you don't go there, listen to them and <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> so, but but seriously though, the, the, what, what you learn from that is it that you you totally take everybody's advice, or how do you? No, sort of you vet don't that? take. Of course, you can't take everybody's advice. But um, they, you know, they were a group of Italians traveling together. They seemed like they were giving good advice. But um, Brian was determined to continue on this road, and um, look, it was just too hard sometimes. And I'm sure. Grant and Susan will have experienced this at times, two up on one bike carrying all the crap that you need to carry when you're travelling for long distance and long periods of time. Sometimes it's just too hard and you've yeah. just got to admit that it is just too hard. And and uh, hindsight's a very powerful thing but um, we could have had a, as good a ride without that nasty day. But well, um, I remember a road exactly like that. In Africa, lit the oh, road to Livingstonia. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> there was a road, um, there's a picture on the website for our Africa section where the road, it's really steep. It's basically, it's not even really a Jeep track because it, it's just, it's basically a riverbed and 180 degree switchbacks that were so tight with rain cuts. Um, yeah, yeah, going yeah, across, yeah. The, across the U-turn. Uh, yeah. inter- you know, you, you were literally front wheels in the air trying to do a 180-degree turn with two up. Yeah. It, it's just stupid. Wow. What could possibly <laughs> Finally, go I said, wrong? No. Oh, it was so ugly. I mean, we got 
we got a fair ways up and finally it was on this one section it was so steep that I was struggling to maintain forward momentum so I just hit the brakes stopped and then the bike jammed up on the rocks and I couldn't move the bike forward or back no matter what I did um, and we just stopped and said you know this just this just isn't going to work so we sat there and we took a rest it was a million degrees and this guy came walking up and we said you know talked for a little bit and he said what's the road like up ahead Oh, it's much more difficult up ahead. Down to the first part here is much easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I think Time we're going to turn, turn around, around here. Yeah. And isn't yeah. it interesting, Grant, those things always happen on hot days. Yeah. Of course. They never <laughs> happen on a, on a cool day where it's not so bad sitting on the edge of the road wondering what the hell you're going to do next. Yeah, I'd rather have it rain in that kind of condition. But I think sometimes. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, okay, maybe not rain, but. Cooler would have been nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, we were just boiling. Anyway, I had it was so bad that I had to go ahead solo to try and find a place to turn around because I couldn't turn around where we were. Oh, wow. That's what the PM passengers for, mate. Yeah. Push, push you around. Oh. Yep. yep. <laughs> See, he's also brave in company. <laughs> so, so um, Brian, so how about uh, you? Well, in hindsight, I, mean, I shouldn't have well, done that. I looked at this topic and I thought I always make the right decisions, but then I had <laughs> So it was really yeah. difficult for you. I hear for you. It's just hilarious. <laughs> and then when I really thought about it, there's plenty. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with one that we're a friend that we met. He made a really, really bad decision. And this is while you're traveling. Um, and yeah, I'm sure it's just pointed out. Maybe I should save that one for the next yeah, one save down. That one. Oh, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save that. I'll save that. <laughs> but when you're talking about rocky roads and things like that, Shirley's right. That that road out of Korog was really, really bad. And the other one, and, and you, some of you might have, might have done it, is um, Sani Pass going up to Lesotho. Um, we were we decided yeah it's a lovely road but when we oh yeah gorgeous we 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 were going up that road we unloaded things because we knew it was going to be a bit rocky and steep and all that sort of stuff we crashed through a couple of um, pretty pretty deep uh, river crossings and we got to a point and it had been really hard going and I looked up and the road was non-existent and they actually had a bulldozer trying to clear the road. And um, <laughs> I thought, ah, I don't think so. So we, we decided not to do that road. When we were on that road, we, oh, yeah. we were going through one of these water crossings and Brian said, okay, now sit still, don't move, and I'm just going to gun it to get through this. And as we're halfway through, it was quite wide, as we're halfway through, a tourist who clearly had idiot tattooed on his forehead stepped out in front of us to take, to take a photo. A photo. Oh, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we missed him. By, by. Not by much. <laughs> not by much at all. I would have liked to have sort of gone back and find him to see what the photo looked like. But from our point yeah. of view, it was he had two very large eyes, shocked, horror, written all over his face and would have been really, really wet. <laughs> and that would have been his story this. on, Correct. I shouldn't have done that. And this couple on this bike came up and I stepped out. 
He's telling it. Trying to run me over. <laughs> he's doing a photographer's podcast right now as he's telling yeah, that story. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's so true. I, I'm surprised that you guys tackle that sort of stuff though too up. Like honestly, that what you described there, Shirley, with you, with your story. I'm surprised you guys are doing that. Not as surprised as well, me, Jim. <laughs> Susan would agree with you, Shirley. <laughs> yeah, but look, uh, yeah. Well, they'd spent two days trying to get across, lifting their bikes over that river, and we knew the water was coming down. So my my theory was that by the time we got there, the water would be down enough uh, we'd be able to get through it. We never oh, got there. Oh, we never right. got that far. The road. <laughs> no comment, Brian. <laughs> It's always difficult when other people are telling you or giving you advice. And mm-hmm. the, the road from Quetta to Taftan, so Quetta and Pakistan to Taftan on the border yeah. with Iran. As I was coming towards it, I was hearing so many scare stories, long sa- soft sand sections and huge corrugations and bandits and roadblocks and, and deep, soft, deep gravel and all the rest of it. And when I got there, it was a bit gnarly, but it was all right. And mm-hmm. I could have just yeah. not gone there. Yeah. If I'd listened to all of the stories. Yeah, so right. you, you have to make a judgment at, at the time. Well, and the other way too, Sam, where somebody looks at you because you're on a bike. I've had this happen before. They look at me on, on a bike and they see it's got knobby tires on it and stuff. They're, oh, you'll make it through. No problem. It's like, there's mm-hmm. no chance. No <laughs> chance at all. In South America, we found this on the, uh, on the Pan Am highway when it was completely flooded. We were coming up in an El Nino year and it was flooded, flooded, flooded. And it was, you know, the highway was literally gone and underwater, hundreds of bridges washed out and everything. And we learned that, oh, you'll make it no problem on a motor, on moto, no problem, no problem. What it really means is when you crash, we will come and help pick you up and you will pay us. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's what it means. And also I think they don't understand how much a fully loaded two up 800, 1200, whatever bike weighs. They're used to thinking 80cc or 125cc dirt bike or dual sport bike, which is what they usually have in those places. And those will go through. Sure. No problem at all. Pick it up and carry if you have to. But with 1200GS, two up, loaded? Nah, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of really, really, um, you know, Impatient moments when you think, oh, I should have. That's enough. Sure, it's time. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, God, he makes me laugh as well. We're going to survive one this. One or two impatient moments, seriously. <laughs> remember, remember the one in the banner bed? We're going uh, into Pakistan, heading up, um, up north, and this is not – you know, not far from where um, Osama bin Laden was caught. But um, he wasn't there at. He wasn't, well, we don't know. But yeah, he, was, he wasn't uh, in custody at that time. Uh, but um, we were going through this town and you get stuck behind buses <sighs> and, you know, deep covered in diesel and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, bugger it, I'm going to go past this bus. So I've gunned it, get out past this bus. And as I've done that, there's a truck coming down this other, uh, this narrow road straight towards me. And um, it got nowhere to go. And I saw a side laneway and I just drove straight up this little side laneway, scattering chooks and people and kids everywhere. Otherwise, we would have been squashed between the, the, the bus and the truck. 
This isn't this isn't very good for us, Jim, because it's reminding me of all these clearly impatient moments where my life has flashed before my eyes. No, but it's perfect. That is definitely one of those in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. But I'm just curious if Brian actually says that afterwards, or does he just blame the truck coming the other oh, way? Blame the truck. What was the truck yeah. doing on its side of the road? God help yeah. us. <laughs> Mind you, India, that's the last place you expect them to be. You don't well, need to right, be on their yeah. side of the room. Yeah, that's true. There's another one where. Oh, um, gosh, really? I remember we were. We were, <laughs> we were decided to go down from Jindabyne on the dirt and we pulled into a service oh. station. And, oh, oh, and it had been oh, snowing, it had been raining a little bit and it was a bit too. wet. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I asked the girl at the service station, I said, um, Yeah, what's that? It's a dirt road. It, it's called the Barry Way and it follows the um, beautiful Snowy River. And it's a beautiful, beautiful spot. And uh, she said, oh, no, it hasn't had much rain. You'll be right. You'll be Just right. enough to settle the dust. That's just her words, yes. Wow. <laughs> we, got, we got into it and it's that sticky and then slippery mud and it got worse and worse and worse. That's first gear, second gear. On the ground gear. Uh, well, that happened when I hit the third <laughs> gear and tried to get a bit smart, you know, and got crossed up in mm. third gear. Yeah. We went there. We now went I've got admissions. He's impatient. That's soft. It's all right. And, and um, anyway, we, we, we struggled along this road. We're going down and up, and, and um, there was three guys coming along on – little trail bikes and they could not believe <laughs> that we were in there on the big GS fully loaded, two up, uh, struggling on this road. But in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have tried that road, sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah, but those maybe guys not. on the lightweight bikes, they, they were all thinking, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> at, that yeah, st- at that stage, we had actually come off a couple of times, so th- we were very – Dirty down one side. So um, I don't know that they were actually wishing that when they grew up they could be like us. And when we got to the um, the town at the end of the Barry Way, I walked into the motel. If I'd looked at me, I would have said, I'm sorry, we don't have any rooms. But the lady actually gave us a room, bought in extra heaters so we could dry out all our gear and uh, told us that we had to hurry to get to the pub. But she rang the pub to tell them we were coming, so they saved us a table by the fire for our dinner. So all's well yeah. that wow. ends nice. well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sam, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> or all many. Right, well, I'm going to start with the end first on, on this one. And the end is, the moral of the story is, pay attention to the warning signs that your body is giving you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Birgit and I landed in South America from South America on the ship and we cleared our bikes and Birgit's bike had a problem. So that took us quite a few days um, to get it sorted. Now, I really wanted to be down in Ushuaia for Christmas. Um, And even back in 1997, this was the thing that any overlander who was around um, wanted to do. Um, But sourcing Birgit's bike out meant that we weren't going to make it there for Christmas and probably not for New Year's either. But I hoped that we'd make it down there in time to link up with some riders before they they left because, you know, we were seeing so few riders then. Um, this was, yeah, it was kind of fun. Wait a minute. I hate so, to interrupt here, I, but I have to interrupt. Christmas 97, we were there in Christmas 97. Yeah, we missed you. Yeah. Wow, that was talk about close. Wow. <laughs> and that would have been the first time we met, hey? 
Yeah, yeah, because we and this was exactly this was exactly the reason why um, you know we really wanted to be um, down in Ushuaia for Christmas because we were uh, literally seeing so few other travellers. Mm-hmm. Um, we just thought it'd be absolutely fantastic to link up with kindred natives. I mean, kindred spirits. Um, so anyway, yes, we Sorry. we we really hoped that we were going to make it, and I encouraged us to push. And Birgit knew that it was important to me. Um, so then we discovered the Roaring Forties as we rode across the Pampas. And that was when we discovered that the Roaring Forties isn't a steady wind, it gusts mm-hmm. and that there are no trees and just waving tussocks of grass and few towns and little traffic and few buildings, just you. And the wind kept hitting us. But the problem was that I'd slipped two discs the couple of years before and I should have still been being careful. And my body was saying to me, you need to slow down, you need to ride less, you need to walk more, et cetera, et cetera. But I wasn't careful. And we made it as far as Commodoro Rivadavia. Um, and that's just 840 miles to go to, to make it down to Ushuaia. And my back was shot. Um, and that pain level told me that I'd made a huge mistake. I really, really should have listened to what my body was saying. And that was such a, a good learning curve for me. Painful. And of course, it ended up with me in a few months later being medevac back to the UK. But ever since then, if my body is giving me warning signs about something, I, I pay real attention because I know that if I don't, then the chances are I'm going to worsen whatever the body's wa- warning me about. So yeah, that was um, that was a painful learning curve, but mm. it was a really good one to have. And we still made it to Ushuaia. Um, so even though we missed Grant Susan, which was a real shame. Yeah. That makes sense. What do, you, what do you mean? You got there later than Grant Susan already left? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, most people um, had left when we got down there. I think there were maybe four or five people left. That was it. Sam, you said you had another one? Yeah. Um, riding with Mike and Sally, my um, English friends um, in Ethiopia. And the moral of this story is never ride so close behind somebody else when you're traveling with them. Um, It doesn't pay. So we were in Ethiopia and it was gravel roads. We were up in in the mountains and it was dusty and it was remote and the 20-year war had finished and there were landmines all over the place and kids with, um, with guns. And we, as a, as a consequence, had a stick-together plan. Um, pay real attention, keep, keep together, um, and you know, no stopping without the other person knowing, et cetera, et cetera. And I was the novice. And Mike, although two up, was a very experienced rider. And I was just very conscious that I didn't want him to be having to um, concentrate on handling a two-up motorcycle with two-up people's luggage. So I was sitting here listening very carefully to what um, Brian and Shirley and Grant were saying. Um, and yeah, one soft, sandy, dusty section. Um, there was suddenly Mike's bike, rear light, bright red in front of me, literally just feet in front of me. And I had no option but to swerve. And I had no idea what was outside of this dust. Um, and I hit a deep ditch and it was that was a big of a su- surprise and so was making it through and staying upright. Then there was a big rock, managed to dodge that. Then there was a three foot deep um, gully, managed to make it through that. Then another ditch. And then I was back on the road and tussling with a ridge of gravel that the trucks had left on the corner, perhaps six inches deep. So my front wheel just wanted to go its own way. But luckily, I'd learned enough by that time to let it do its thing. 
Um, and thankfully, I was taking Imodium at the time. It saved me in many occasions. Um, but yeah, never ride too, too close with another person. Um, and I have friends who, when they're riding um, in a group on gravel, um, they try to ride very close to each other because that way they're not sitting in each other's dust. The, the dust hasn't had the time to rise. Yeah. But um, I'm not a good enough rider for that. So for me, it's um, yeah, it's a good distance behind when the dust is, is thinned out. Um, there's more time to think and do and to plan and no last minute emergencies like that. I mean, Mike told me later that um, the reason he'd suddenly slowed down was because his bike had hit that six inch ridge of, of gravel and two up. It was, yeah, a sudden challenge on a corner. So he'd had to slow down. Um to make it through so yeah. that was the first one and, and the thing is too with if you're if you're a rider that's aware of things you see the person that close to you behind you it stresses you out because you know oh, yes. that if anything happens that person's coming to the back of you that's very stressful oh, yeah i mean burgett's first ride um on dirt was in africa in the dark and she was so afraid of losing me she was hanging on to my backside and i was just just had to keep going faster because i was so afraid of falling off i knew she'd ride straight over the top of me yeah um, but she yeah. was incredible. She managed to stay on. I'm, I've told that story anyway. Um, and she's been chasing but, um, after you the whole time. As you speed up, she's yeah. thinking, you're going faster. I got to speed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you what, yeah. when we got off at the other end and he was me full of praise for her, thinking, wow, she's a complete natural. And she was so cross with me for going so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's a, but, wonderful, um, there's a wonderful photograph out there that brought to mind by your conversation here, what you're just talking about. And there's two bikes riding away, both with big saddlebags. Her right-hand saddlebag is mashed. It's completely misshapen. His left-hand saddlebag is completely mashed. <laughs> you know what happened, don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. So, yeah. We see uh, that too often. <clears throat> there was this magazine that I, I used to enjoy. One section of especially is Sea Kayaker magazine. They had this section where they would uh, they would take a tragedy and um, not necessarily a tragedy, but something that went wrong, and then they would they would tell the story and they would break it down and talk about it, the things that went wrong and things that could have been uh, improved or or the, maybe the mistakes that were made that led to the outcome. It was just really interesting, and, and I feel like that's what we're doing. When we're talking about things like this because you, you sort of you get an insight to that, right? You, you see it, it illustrates. I mean, you can say don't ride too close to me. But until you really hear a story like that, that illustrates the point and, and shows just how incredibly dangerous it is. I know the thing with the dust, a lot of people say that with a, they want to ride closer because they don't want to ride in the dust cloud, man, I, I don't, I don't think it's a skill level that you, and, and maybe I'm just not skilled enough and that's quite possible. But uh, to me, it's just foolish. There's no time. There's just no time to react. And when surfaces are loose, I mean, Grant, you probably know better than, mm-hmm. than uh, or you, Grant and, and Brian, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I mm. ride sometimes with a couple of friends of mine um, off-road, you know, gravel roads and stuff like that. And one of them insists on riding at my five o'clock. So if I'm on the right-hand side of the road, sticking to the right where I'm supposed to be, this is North America, he's like not even a bike length behind. His front wheel is almost up to my rear wheel, and he's about four or five feet to my left. And it's okay when it's wide and there's lots of room, and it's great for keeping out of the dust and you know everybody's happy. But as soon as he gets the tiniest bit gnarly, it, he rides too close, and it, it's – it's nerve wracking. It's stressful, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just not good. Um, so if we get into a situation where I'm tail end Charlie, I'll ride there as well, 
But the instant uh, there's a, even a corner or it's looking a little bit tricky, I'll just hit the brakes and slow right down. I'll eat the dust for a few seconds and then just keep going. But it, it's so easy to get into serious trouble. And, and we've had, yeah, that was too close. That was too close because, you know, you get guys on ATVs and you get guys on pickup trucks, especially in here in BC where the Forest Service roads are heavily trafficked. Uh, by guys who work out there, and they'll come around a corner virtually sideways in their pickups. I mean, the back yeah. end is sliding, and they're just Spoon going because they know the corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just – I've seen guys doing like 80 miles an hour come around these dirt corners. It's just like, are you nuts? I don't do that on the bike. I, like I, There's always this debate of who leads, the better rider or the not-so-good rider. In my opinion, and I'm not sh- I know not everybody agrees, I think the less good rider should lead because the guy following is easily able to keep up because whoever's in the lead, one little yeah. tiny thing and poof, they're gone. And the rider behind has to really struggle to keep up. So if you've got a less good rider trying to keep up with a good rider, it's really, really hard. They have to work hard and take risks that they shouldn't take. I think yeah, that makes, the, I think that makes sense. To, yeah. yeah, me too. Totally agree. I mean, when Birgit and I started riding in Africa, I started. I was riding in front because I'd got four years' experience on a motorcycle by this time. And I thought, well, look, if I'm poddling along in front of her, she can be, because Birgit only got 600 miles experience on a motorcycle. So, you know, she was real novice stuff. So being able to watch where I was riding and the position of the road and how I was diff- dealing with the different road conditions and traffic and all of this sort of stuff, I thought, you know, I'll just jog along in front of her very gently and she can learn from what I'm doing. Um, and it freaked her out because she just felt like I was going too fast all mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but as soon as we decided that she was going to go in front, that was it. Her total riding style changed. She relaxed. She became faster. She was making the decisions for herself instead of reacting to my decisions all of the time. Yep. And what a massive difference that made. Ride uh, your own ride. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And for me, it was brilliant because I was spending almost no time looking in my rearview mirror in comparison mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, she was in front. So I could see her. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, perfect. Dirt riding. Um, we do a lot of it around here with a, with a group of guys and, and I. Quite often, uh, one of us will um, pick pick the route, so you've got to lead. But because it's so dusty here, we we just um, space right out. You know, it, we could be three or four hundred yards apart sometimes with the dust, and you just come to a corner, you stop, and you wait for everyone to catch up. But um, uh, it, it, the dust is a big thing, in my opinion. You know, why would you put mm-hmm. your bike in the middle of the dust so it's sucking in all that dust into your air cleaner? Mm-hmm. And but what you about know. you, as well as the bike? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Really yeah. Dust. And I've got I've got a couple of mates that ride too close, and at one stage here, I've just stopped and said, "Hey, listen, you know, you want to leave? That's okay." Or are you gay? You want to sit on my ass? You know, get away from me. You know? <laughs> At least give me a bit of space. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's distracting to your yeah. ride, isn't it? When you've got somebody buzzing yeah. around your back end like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's horrible. It takes away when when you're riding in those sorts of conditions with other riders. Then so long as everybody knows that if there's a turning, then you, that the person in front stops and waits and blah de blah. Yeah. It, it's so simple to to deal with that. Yeah, I, I just don't you, see the need. You've got to work that out in advance. 
that's the, like, cause yes. Brian said, obviously he's got to work out in advance with all his buddies. You've got to work yeah. it out in advance. You stop because people do the weirdest things. You know, I left a skid mark or, you know, well, I've been yep. turning yeah. left the whole time or I thought you Good knew luck. I was left all those type of things. That, mm-hmm. That's great. Hey, let's bring in Michelle. I, I want to hear Michelle's because I think she's thinking she's getting away with not telling hers. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's been awfully quiet. I was quiet. hoping. <laughs> I was definitely, definitely hoping. In hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. Michelle? Oh gosh, I've got a couple of things and I really kind of struggled with some of these because I'm not proud of a couple of them. Oh, great. Start so, with those. Perfect. Right. I, th- I thought they'd be, well, if nothing else, they're cautionary tales that hopefully saves other writers or travelers some lessons of their own down the road. And and I've gotten lucky with them. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, um, first thing I guess that came to mind for me was, um, really related, it sounds really simple to say at the outset, related to communicating clearly with um, people that are, are helping you along the way. And the example that I'm referring to is that I had a family traveling through South America. I had a family that invited uh, myself and my travel partner to come and stay for a couple of days. And I think that we as uh, travel partners should have communicated better to each other about what our plans were and then really communicated better with our hosts about how long we might stay, how long we might not stay, what our plans were. And we were short on Wi-Fi. We really weren't um, emailing regularly. And anyway, in a nutshell, this is what happened. So this lovely family in South America invites us to come and stay. And we said, you know, we're not sure what our timeline is. We will try and pop in for a couple of days. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Be lovely to meet you, yada, yada. Um, And then um, we kind of traveled in the direction of their place, uh, made some late last minute contact and met them and went out to their place to stay. Hadn't been online for a couple of days. And this, this is so embarrassing. I hate this. We get online at their house and realize that some friends that are um, fellow overland travelers have been um, a little further up the road ahead of us. And they had invited us to catch up with them in camp. And so here we are at this lovely family's home. They've invited us to stay and we decide that it will only be for the one night and we're going to continue on and catch up with these friends. But the family that invited us to stay because of local customs, et cetera, wanted us to stay longer. And it was really seen as a very rude thing to come in and use them basically for one night of housing Mm -hmm. and then move along the road. And I felt really badly about that. It got very awkward in a discussion um, that evening about, you know, hey, we're, we're going to take off tomorrow. That was seen as very disrespectful. It, it was just a really awkward situation. And I felt really badly about that and thought in hindsight, I, I can see how it felt um, disrespectful uh, for us to have gone into their home and just, you know, we, we could have more or less gone to a hotel and not have troubled them. And they were hoping that we would stay and enjoy the culture and being part of their family. And I really wish that we had because they were a lovely family. Um, but I'm not proud of the fact that, you know, we, we changed travel plans at the last minute and it really kind of relates to just wanting to be, that's part of travel. Sometimes you want to be able to be spontaneous and these friends that were further up the road, um, we're heading home. They were finishing their trip within a couple of weeks and we we didn't want to miss the opportunity to spend a couple more days with them before they headed home. So it it, it just was an awkward situation, but I, I really still, mm. assume, I'm kind of glossing over it, but it, it was awkward and uncomfortable and I felt really badly about 
our not having stayed longer. I feel like we should have waited. We should have spent a couple of days and really been in the moment, been engaged and appreciated that opportunity that we had. And we didn't, we, we kept moving. So in hindsight, would you have, do you, you just stayed and said, you know, sorry, friends, I can't catch up with you. I think I would have, I, I really do. I, I feel still badly uh, about having left um, that next morning early. It was uncomfortable, um, you know, leaving that family and, and yeah, I, it was a friendship opportunity that really kind of fell apart because of that. And mm-hmm. it was, it comes down to communication and them having felt like we were invited, which as an honor to be extended to go to someone's home. And I recognized it at the time. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I should have maybe taken that a bit more seriously. And it wasn't just me. It was my travel partner. It was a joint decision. It was just something that popped up and we were really in travel mode where we were flexible and spontaneous and, and we, you know, didn't think much of it at the time, but in hindsight, yeah, I felt really badly about that. Mm. I totally, totally get you, Michelle. And it's one of the reasons why I don't book myself in to stay with too many people when I'm traveling because I'm really nervous of letting them down or ending up being rude somehow and that I'm not realizing at the time or whatever else it is because, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, I get you very much in this situation. That must be really hard. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Thanks for sharing that, Michelle. That that is, I can see why you're apprehensive. I mean, and because I can tell that it's very weighty on you still the way you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that really never was resolved in, in a friendly or comfortable way. And so it's, it's too bad that it, it happened that way. But anyway, I just, I chalk it up to an opportunity for other travelers to learn to, you know, if nothing else, be very clear before you go and stay with someone that that might be a possibility, that sometimes you're flexible, sometimes weather or changing plans or itinerary or what have you can really cause you to have, you know, the inability to commit for an exact day or a couple of days or what have you. And just, I think if we communicate clearly in advance, hopefully that prevents any misunderstandings or hurt feelings. Yeah. yeah. And, Sound or, advice. And, or, or like you said, you could have just went and stayed at a hotel and then, then you wouldn't have done that. You don't have to yeah. deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the the other thing that I did that I'm not very proud of is actually uh, illegal. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like um, this. Statute of limitations yeah. is over. Oh, Michelle. I don't know. We'll find out, Michelle. Don't you worry. He's licking the end of his pencil. He's got his notebook. Yeah, out. yeah. yeah. Let's go. I actually, the term statute of limitations popped into my head as I was making notes. And I'm like, ah. So anyway, this chalks up to uh, Brian and Shirley were talking earlier about impatience. And this goes to my uh, level of impatience one day at a border crossing in Central America. And I'll actually fess up which border it was because maybe it gives it perspective for anybody who's been there. But I was heading south and had was crossing from Costa Rica into Panama at Paso Canoas. And you cross out of Costa Rica, you go through the process at immigration and the aduana to get your passport stamped out. And then you get your bike uh, temporary import permit um, canceled and terminated. So your bike's actually exported then from the country and the, the country knows that you haven't left it there. And then you cross to the next border and go start it all over again. So you go through immigration, then to the Atawana to temporarily import your motorcycle into the next country. 
Well, the whole process of getting out of Costa Rica took roughly three to four hours and it was hot. And I know, you know, I apologize, I'm not going to translate into Celsius, but it was like 100, 105 degrees Fahrenheit and it was 100% humidity. There's insects everywhere. You're, it's the kind of day where you're sweating into your boots. You can feel how sweaty your socks are. You're, you're just miserable and dehydrated. So getting a headache, you, you just aren't feeling good. So I cross out of Costa Rica, go stand in line on the Panamanian side, get through immigration, and then start the process of importing the bike. And as I go to the Aduana, the woman at the window tells me that their computers have been down all day. It's going to be a couple hour wait. So I wait and go have another cold bottle of water, go get in another line. Um, I get yelled at by someone at another window, kind of start all over. I'm not understanding what they're telling me to do and eventually figure out that I have to go upstairs and get a stamp, just a simple stamp. And it really doesn't require payment. It doesn't require anything, but I... I have to go get this stamp on a certain piece of paper and bring it back to the woman at the Ottawa window. So I go upstairs and that window is closed because they've gone to lunch and they've just left. And a woman that's standing outside, she's actually, she's sitting on the floor outside. She's knitting and she says, oh, they're probably going to be gone another three hours. They take long lunches. So I'm frustrated. I'm not, and again, I'm with my travel partner and a person that's standing across Uh, The hallway says a lot of people just, it's a glass wall that we're looking at and there's no one behind the window, but there's a little kind of an arched opening where you can slide your hand through or paperwork back and forth in uh, like a glass, an arch cut in the glass window. And this guy across the hall, he says, most people actually just reach through that window and you can reach the stamp and stamp it yourself. Michelle. I know. Did you it. know what's coming. Good I on you, guys. I could hear it. I could hear that coming. Yeah, yeah. I uh-huh. can see well, it happening. Of course. Yeah. Sat and you. waited. Just let her tell the story. Let her tell yeah. the story. <laughs> I think I just did. But yeah. <laughs> so I, I stand there and have this moral struggle for about a second and a half and said, I can't can't do this. Yeah. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm fed up. I've been yelled at. I don't want to be here anymore. So I literally, and, and the guy worked in the office and he was across the hall and he said, everybody does it. Just reach through there, get that stamp. It's that one right there with the red handle or whatever it was. Just, just reach through there and grab it and stamp. Here's where you stamp on your paper. He walked over, he kind of guided me through the process. And sure enough, I stretched my arm through underneath the window to the office side, grabbed the stamp, pulled it through and stamped two of our papers, mine and my travel partners, and put, reached back through and put the stamp away. And I marched downstairs to the Atawana to finish the process, go through the fumigation spraying for our bikes and head on down the road. And I didn't even bat an eye. However, in hindsight, I really understand that could have gone very badly. I could have wound up in jail. Who knows what kind of legitimately, what kind of bribery situation I put myself into, what kind of legal situation. It's not something that I I take lightly. I'm obviously very guilt ridden about it because, you know, all these years later, I'm telling the story, but not really. Um, Well, um, at least you're telling it here and not in some jail cell that somebody says, Michelle, I've heard it before. Enough, enough already. And and not in public too, Michelle. I mean, that would have just been awful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just wonder what the statute of limitations is. 
We're going to find out. And, and, and for the um, and for the Panamanian border guards who are looking for the woman on the motorcycle, try the chalet motel. Right? Well, not sure. I'm hoping that the security footage is long gone by now. But so, Michelle, if you ever have to go back to that border, are you going to actually think about that? Will that be a little bit of bead of sweat running down your back as you go through that border thinking, just maybe... I'm not on the wall. For a second. Nope. Not for a second. I, I was so happy to get out of there and I have every intention, if I can help it, of never going back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you have that. you got a tattoo, Michelle? I didn't realize you were a criminal and I always sort of associate that way. You know, <laughs> you know um, Michelle, if that had been us, the story would be told now that I refused for Brian to break the law <laughs> and we spent four and a half weeks at that border crossing waiting for those people to come back from lunch and I'd been to the shop and bought some woolen needles and was sitting with the woman on the floor doing some knitting. Oh, <laughs> I love it. No, I would have done it in a heartbeat. <laughs> when this guy is, is, is telling you how to do it, is there any thought to think, is this a setup? <laughs> uh, no, actually, not, not at all. No. And it should have been. Yeah, it Absolutely should have been. No, I, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking that day, except that I was very, and it wasn't just me. I, I want to say I was with a travel partner who was very much part of this thought process and I'm not trying sh to shift any blame, but the two of us were together and we were fed up and uh, yeah, we just decided to reach through the window. And okay. But the fact is your honor, it was her that reached through the window and stamped both was. passports. Right. It was, it right. was, I admit. <laughs> and the frustrating wow. thing with so many of those borders in South and Central America yeah, is they want you to get a stamp on a piece of paper. You've got no idea why you need that stamp. They've got no idea why you need that stamp. It's just something they can do to give you. The, so <laughs> no, I disagree, I, I Shirley. It. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I, I think it's not that they're trying to give you a problem or anything. It's called make, giving them work. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. They have All a right. job. Yeah. 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 If they didn't stamp that paper, they wouldn't yeah. have a job. Good point, and you, you see that in the Egyptian border crossing. I mean, I remember going into a room with my, my paperwork and there's a guy at the desk. I hand the paper to the guy at the desk and he looks at it and yep, yep. And then he hands it to the guy on his left. And all around this room, which is a good sized room, there's like 15 guys sitting at chairs all the way around the room. And every single one of them looks at the paper. <laughs> They're all getting paid. They've all got a job. What are they doing? Why is Quality that? Quality assurance. That's stupid. Quality assurance. Yeah. But it's called giving them a job. And that's what 90% of this border stuff is. It's giving somebody yeah. a job. My yeah. cousin, yeah. my nephew, whatever. It's yeah. just the way it is. And you just yeah. have to learn it's, to it's, live with it. It's like um, uh, petrol station attendants in South Africa. You know, I offended a guy. Yeah. Picking up the petrol uh, pump myself and putting it in. Oh, that's my job, sir. That's my job, sir. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And what are we all going to do when AI takes over? None of us will have to work. Yeah, I just think it's the same thing. And, you know, I just see in, in the in the news here, they're saying here for our government that the uh, government employees are now to, allowed to use chat GPT to answer emails from the public. Wow. 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 Isn't that incredible? Yeah. <sighs> I hope they read it before they send it. Well, the point, what I'm thinking is, Grant, is when do they just say, hey, we, we don't need you to do that. Just step, step yeah. away from the yeah. computer. Yeah, <laughs> the computer can do it on its own. It's okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm still old school and in supermarkets. I still go and stand in the queue and have my my goods run through by a person. Yep. Yeah, me too. Because every machine I see, I see, yeah, in that space a few weeks back, there was a person with a job sitting there. Yeah. Yep. And it may add 10 minutes onto my day, but I really don't give a toot. If anything, it's a bonus because it's people watching opportunity. Writers, well, writers will be obsolete soon. You're out of, you're out of yeah, business. Yes. That's I think we'll all I'll be obsolete. I mean, we won't have to do this. We can have computers do it for us. You won't even have to be here. I won't have to be here. <laughs> a, friend, a, friend, hey. a, friend, a friend of mine gobsmacked me, me the other day because she said, I can't wait for, for self-driving cars to come in. Uh, all I want is to have the key to the lock and it'll be electronic and all I've got to do is push a button as I walk towards it and the car door is going to open for me. I'm going to sit in the seat. The seat belt is going to curve itself around me and plug myself in. And as soon as that happens, and I'm just going to sit back and read a book and the car's going to take me. That's what's being in a limousine is called. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't wait for self-driving motorcycles. I think it'd be great because then you don't have to worry. You don't have to pay attention. You can do stuff like read. And I mean, you know, maybe you don't even have to go. You send your bike out on its own. You know, my ride. There you are. That's the answer. Yeah, with it, with it, get it to film you so that you can you sort of see where it's yeah, been for you. That's exactly <laughs> like people do with gaming, right? You can watch it afterwards. That's a great idea. I don't know. It's a crazy world, but I'm sure they said that at the, you know, at the, the start of the industrial revolution, right? I mean, there was all kinds of people doing things and then you've got machines taking over and doing things and, and look at it, how much better things have gotten, right? I mean, they had people out there cutting trees down in the forest. Now they have machines and now lumber is just about free. Or yeah. is yeah, it right? Yeah. yeah, that didn't work out, did it? No, that didn't work. Sorry. <laughs> We should take All a break. Right. When we take a, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about regrets. Stay with us. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio Raw is supported by Fresh Tracks. Freshtracks.co.uk. Fresh Tracks works with companies or groups to uh, motivate, inspire, and build communication skills through team building. And they've been doing it for many years with a host of programs to suit any company's requirements. I know that the little bit of work that I've done with team building, I've found very, very powerful. Fresh Tracks works um, with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, many, many more. Again, their website, freshtracks.co.uk. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. All right. So this is one regret. Regrets on a long motorcycle trip that sort of have had some profound effect in you in some way or or maybe change the way you things you see things do things that sort of thing who wants to start with one regret i feel like it's confession time <laughs> oh, dear. sorry brian was that you that said that yeah yeah go ahead brian preferred green just the bunny <laughs> but um, uh, this isn't my regret, but it's a, I know it's a regret that our German friend Ingo has. Oh, yeah. Um, going back uh, when we're travelling across uh, through Iran, there's a, there's a place called Bam, uh, which has a wonderful adobe um, fort that used to be on the silk, uh, ro- one of the silk routes going across from Asia. And uh, all international travellers going through this part of t- uh, the world stay at uh, Akbar's guest house in uh, Bam. And uh, from there, you then go for a little ride, just a little bit out of town to this beautiful adobe fortress. 
and which uh, was like a town within yeah, these beautiful um, yeah, yeah. pressed sand walls and yeah, it was just gorgeous. Was magnificent. So we decided we're going to go out there and Ingo, for some reason, decided that he would, wouldn't, he'd stay, maybe he fancied one of the other backpackers there, I don't know, but um, he uh, he decided to stay at Akbar's and not come out with us. Because he was going on to India yes. and turning around and riding back, so he was going to go to BAM on the way home. Yeah, that's right. So he, he decided he would do it on the way home. We travel on. We had a wonderful time uh, exploring this wonderful old fortress. We move on and we are in uh, India on the beach uh, at Christmas time. And we're watching, just so happened to be at the breakfast room we were at, um, there was a, a television and it had um, BBC World on and there'd been a huge earthquake at BAM and the whole adobe uh, fortress had uh, collapsed. Uh, now, we hear of this terrible earthquake over in Morocco at the moment where there's 2,000 odd people killed. 35,000 people died in BAM um, over that earthquake and everybody in the street where Akbar's guest house uh, is died. Um, yeah. So we, um, we know Ingo had... And to, to this day probably still has regrets about not going and seeing that wonderful old Adobe Fortress, which is no more. So I really feel for the people of Morocco at the moment. Yeah. So, anyway, anyway I, I know that's a bit of a downer, but it's a big regret when you're travelling not to do those things. And uh, that's Ingo's story, not mine, but um, I, I thought it was worthwhile telling that story. <laughs> I have to admit that I'm exactly the same. Um, I didn't go to BAM. Um, I made a decision to travel on with some people that I was with, thinking I'm, I'm enjoying this place already so much I'm coming back, and of course never did. Mm. The world is such a huge, huge place. There are so many places to go that the odds of you actually going back to some of these somewhat remote or sometimes extremely remote places are so slim. You've got to take the opportunity while you're there. Mm. One of the stories that I wanted to tell was exactly on this subject. So on my first time, uh, first time down through Africa, I decided that I shouldn't spend the money to go over to the island of Zanzibar. Uh, the island, which is also called the Spice Island, is off the coast of Tanzania. And I'd ridden on, um, even ridden through the port where the bo boats left for the island. Mm -hmm. Um, but the ouch factor for me was the price of getting my bike over to the island. It was the equivalent of three weeks' living costs in one hit. And without thinking too hard, I just decided that as I was on a motorcycle journey, I should concentrate on the riding and the exploring I could affordably do. And I was on a roll, and life was a brilliant place to be was what I was doing. Um, but I've been told some really good stories about the island from other travellers, but um, yeah, a, a long flow of brilliant tales of the island came from other travellers about two weeks later, too late. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of wild camping on white sand beaches and warm turquoise coloured sea. And um, I was told of a place that I could have stored my bike on the mainland and the windy streets of Stone Town and sandalwood trees and bush babies and nutmeg and clove plantations and 
dirt cheap calamari in the markets and fresh fish from the fishermen on the beach Yum. and cheap beer and just so it went. And I was hearing all of these stories when I was just well gone past it. You should see the look on my face right now because we did the same thing. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were in Dar, I mean, we could have left our bike there, we could have gone to the island, but ah, it's kind of expensive to get there. Ah, what's there? Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> I vowed from that time onwards that I would always listen really hard to what other people said about places and that even if there was a stumbling block, I'd actually take the time out to look and see if there was a way around it. And as it happens, well, Birgit and I rode to Africa together and I told her this story and of course we visited Zanzibar and we found a place on, um, to store the bikes on the mainland and all of the things that I'd been told um, about the island were true. And we were wild camping on a beach um, that was just as close to overlanding bliss as you can possibly, possibly get. Um, so, yeah, the lesson from that was taking the time out to investigate properly before making decisions. Um, yeah, initial instincts aren't always right. You know, another thing to take out of that, Sam, is just have that little bit of extra money so you can do those things that just pop up in your travels rather than yeah. say, I yeah. can't afford it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And planning ahead a little bit, because that reminds me of the, the one we ran into in Tanzania. Um, we were in Tanzania and looking around, and we saw, I forget where we were camping. We were camping somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and balloons, hot air balloons started going by. Oh, my Lord. The, oh, wow. We got to do that. We got to do that. So we went into town and figured out what was involved and said, okay, we'll book a balloon ride. Can we go tomorrow? Uh, oh, we're booked up for three months. Sorry, sir. There was nothing for three months. Mm. Wow. You, you have to book it in advance. Yeah. We didn't know that. We didn't even know it existed, that you could do a hot air balloon ride in Tanzania. So maybe the lesson there is too, or another lesson in that is doing some research in advance because there are some things that you need to plan for a lot farther out so you don't miss those opportunities. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yep. we hate planning ahead. We'd rather just kind of bumble along and take our time. And if you've got enough time and you don't push yourself for time and you're not rushed and you've got a few extra dollars, it's, it's usually okay. But three months, wait, no, I can't do that. Sorry. Yeah. Although in hindsight, maybe we should have just hung around because we could have easily enjoyed Africa for another three months and come back. It would have been oh, easy, yeah. easy, easy. You couldn't prepare for every eventuality, but, but no. Michelle's point I think is, is really good if you do your research in advance and then you at least have an idea of what's, I mean, you may miss it anyway, but I mean, you, you at least have sure. an idea that, hey, these things are, and I'd, I'd like to do this and it has a big lead time. And yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, a, that's a really valid point. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah so much, right. it's so much easier now. I mean, when we were going, it was pre-internet and you had a guidebook, maybe if you could find a guidebook on where you were going and you know, I think there was like six guidebooks required for us to do the Africa that we wanted to do. And there's just no way we're going to carry six inch and a half thick, two inch thick books yeah. on a on a tour through Africa. Forget it. Right. So we were winging it. We had to wing it. She'll, she'll, now, solve, wow. she'll solve that problem, mate. She, she can get that. Yeah. yeah. Didn't you? Well, you're the one telling us. Oh, yeah. she, gets, <laughs> she gets them posted yeah. to where we are. <laughs> if we've got somewhere where we know we're going to be, we get I get books posted to us. But I'm a bit of a what planner. A good idea. I mean, you don't have to plan everything down to the nth degree. But if you're going to somewhere like that where they have that kind of experience that you really want to do, um, you do a bit of planning and know you're going to have to book three months out. So you just try and work your trip around. If it's that special, 
doing it, mm-hmm. like Antarctica. You know, there's no point yep. in turning up in Antarctica. Well, no t- point in turning up in Ushuaia and in March and think, well, I'll get on the next ship because you've probably just missed the last one for the season. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but but having sense. said that, I will say that my regret <laughs> is not going to Antarctica. And I love adding this into the conversation after everybody else has said, <laughs> we're so glad we went. Yeah. Um, but I knew that it was coming and I was actually following a bunch of websites and was signed up or subscribed to newsletters for any last minute special fares for Antarctica when I was headed south. And I got an email about a week before reaching Ushuaia that there was a last minute cabin that came available. I had to commit and pay that day. But a week out with a lot of gravel, a lot of Ruta Quarenta, all of that between me and Ushuaia. And I just wasn't sure that I could actually be there. Um, so, so I passed on it. It was $2,500 to go oh out. Oh my like Lord, a, that's cheap. <laughs> yes. It's so cheap. So you can see why I regret it because I didn't take that chance. But having said that, there were other things that I did do on the trip. Um, I went to the Galapagos. I went to Easter Island and I budgeted for those because in Easter Island is a perfect example. I bought a plane ticket to go out to Easter Island while I was in Chile. And because it's a Chile territory, Chilean territory, the airfare is cheapest from Santiago, Chile than anywhere else in the world. And, there, and actually you have to fly out of Santiago or one other place to actually get to the island anyway. But the plane ticket was $350 round trip to go out to Easter Island. I camped, I spent a week, I rented a bicycle, had the trip of a lifetime. So I did plenty of other things that I'm so grateful for. Antarctica is really probably my one regret because I had that opportunity And I just wasn't confident in the weather, the winds heading south in Patagonia, how bad the roads were. I could have had bike trouble and I wasn't prepared to commit $2,500 and have the possibility that I missed that boat. So I didn't do it. But is that that really something you should regret? Because I mean, to me, it almost sounds like a wise decision, right? Yeah, no, I I regret not having gotten to Argentina or excuse me, Antarctica, having been that far south in Argentina but I don't regret not booking that specific trip. Right. Well, you could always put the bike in a in a truck if things yeah. got really grim and get down there in time. But yeah, That's true. it's um when you uh, think around thing places you've been that you would like to go back to, um, Antarctica is there for me. I mean, there's oh. plenty of other places we've been to that I go, yeah, if I could get there, I'd really enjoy it, and uh, you know, I'd love to see those places again and eat that food again. But Antarctica is something that um, it's don't, just don't go for a swim, super, sure. no, 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 don't go for a swim. Better get down there quickly, hadn't we? Well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I doubt if I will get back there again, but yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd go. Well, it, you know, what a, to regret that's out of our reach at the moment was um, we, we were booked to take the bike over and, and do Morocco and then COVID hit mm. and now – you know, specifically to, to ride through the Atlas Mountains and now, you know, it's going There's to... There's still plenty of Morocco to well, see without things, the Atlas things, Other things have got in the way at the moment, but hopefully one day we'll get there. So yeah. it's I a have, burning desire of mine now. I have a big regret about Egypt and this is something that was out of our hands, so it's a bit different to, um, mm. to the other stories that have been told so far. We were heading towards... Um, Southern Europe to get a boat to Egypt and the Arab Spring hit and we kept looking online for dates for these ferries and then we finally worked out 
they just stopped yeah. running. The, the 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 uncertainty in Egypt and other Arab nations at that time just meant the ferries just weren't going. And the only way we could have got there was to get over the mountains and get to Turkey and get a ferry from Turkey, and that just was impossible because the yeah you know, it was December and the weather was closing in and mountains yeah. in December in Europe is not my idea of a fun ride. So mm. ask me, Shirley. I rode them. It's not funny. No, <coughs> no. And so we never got to Egypt, and um, we will. We will, we will one day, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Do you, was that the regret you had in mind, Shirley? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, my my fun. other one is a little regret, and it's a stupid regret, and it's a I shouldn't be a tight ass regret. We were in Turkey, and we saw the balloons over mm-hmm. Cappadocia, and there was no three month wait grant, and we just went. <laughs> oh, we went and ex- inquired. And we thought, geez, it's expensive, isn't it? Really? So we didn't do it. Uh-huh. And when we came mm-hmm. back to Australia for my for a significant birthday of mine one year, Brian said, let's go for a balloon ride and to go for a balloon ride over Melbourne, which, you know, is a nice city but it ain't Cappadocia, was about four <laughs> times more expensive. I thought, seriously, <laughs> Shirley, you are an idiot for not taking that balloon ride in Turkey. Yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> I'd do that one in the Cappadocia for, in a heartbeat. Yeah, it just sure. every time you see the photos, you just think, oh, I uh, could have done that. It's really annoying. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, how so many of our regrets are things that we didn't see mm-hmm. that we could have done. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah so Mark Twain says, uh, what, 20 years from now you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. Sometimes you've just got to think, as you said, Grant, what are the chances of you going back? We were in a queue waiting to go up the Eiffel Tower. Oh, uh, yeah. We listened to an Australian couple arguing about the cost of going up the Eiffel Tower. I'm thinking, you spent thousands to get here. Big deal. Mm-hmm. But but our, oh. our philosophy, you know, and I think we've told this story before, you know, Shul's sister passed away because of breast cancer and that really made us assess life and what you want out of life. And then you work work like a dog and, you know, you, you get your money but what are you going to do with your life? And um, Fran had um, regrets about some of the things she wanted to do. One of them is Egypt and seeing the pyramids. And we really sat down and assessed we need to get rid of if only we had done this in our life. We need to get as rid of as many if onlys as possible. And that's what started us travelling in the first place. Nice. Fantastic. And you take a leaf out of Grant's book, have that extra credit card. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. Pay it off when you get home. But when you get yep. home and go, oh, yeah. I really wish we'd done that. Oh well, you know, I've got a credit card bill that's minuscule instead of a big one. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, everyone has You've to do it their own people. way. But yeah, yeah. Don't turn down an opportunity for an experience that you'll remember for the rest of your life for the sake of a couple of bucks. It's just right. not worth it. Yeah. It's real sneaky Experiences like that. are worth so much. Yeah. Yep. It's sneaky. She keeps a bit of money on the side. And uh, one of our one of our first trips with the kids, we we were in Hawaii and uh, we were stone motherless broke on our way home. Had a couple of days left before we caught the flight back to Australia. And uh, she said, oh, why don't you go and hire a little car? I've only got a little bit of money, blah, blah, blah. And myself and my eldest son wandered off and we came back with a Mustang. 
And uh, she was you were a little bit upset about that. Well, she? it took all my sneaking. <laughs> <laughs> there was going to be no duty free shopping at the airport on the way home. <laughs> what is the old saying that travel is the only thing that you buy that makes you richer? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a motorcycle. That, that yeah, I must have heard that wrong. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> well, I guess we'll we'll wrap that up there. Then that sounds like. Did, did anyone have anything they, they wanted to add in there? Okay, so why don't we go into plugs? And I'm going to start with uh, Sam. What do you have? Um, well, I'm delighted to say that I have been invited guest book sign at the UK's largest motorcycle show at the National Exhibition Centre near Birmingham in the Midlands. And it's on from the 18th until the 26th of November. I haven't been there for several years. And the show took an absolute hammering during COVID times, and it's been gentle with its recovery. But last year it started to buzz again, and the attendance numbers were significantly up. I'm so pleased. And I love this show because of its location. It means that people can get there by motorcycle, by car, by train, and can even fly in from Ireland and mainland Europe. Um, it's in the centre of England, so people travel in from Scotland, Wales, Northern England, and from yeah the south of of, uh, of England too. It's a real motorcycling crossroads. I'm going to be with the Adventure Bike Shop, um, and Cliff and Jenny, uh, by the way, are overlanders themselves. They did a big trip from um, the UK across to Australia. And um, yeah, they've got overlanding at their heart and they really stock decent kit. Um, and people will find us um, near the BMW stand in Hall 2. And yeah, I'm smiling big time about going back. Um, I, yeah, it's going to be good fun. So I hope that um, plenty of raw listeners are going to get the chance to come and say hello. Fantastic. Cool. And that's I'm that's assuming you have, you have that list uh, on your website, sam-manicom.com? I do. Along with your yep, book. Indeed. And t-shirts yeah. and what exactly do you have mer- for merchandise? What is it? T-shirts? Do you have hats and coffee mugs and things? Uh, no, just t-shirts and books. Or should that be books and a few t-shirts? Ah, that's uh, that makes more sense. But it's funny. We've been talking coffee mugs the other day, but you know, I do most of, of my stuff on the back of my motorcycle. Can you imagine me trying to carry around <laughs> mugs as well? You don't have a cup holder a fig- on your bike on the handlebar? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose I could get multiple cup holder. That would look quite interesting. <laughs> Grant, what have you got? Well, we've got Germany, the autumn event, which has been going for years and years and is always the the hardier bunch of travelers because it's going to be a little chilly in Germany in November, November 2 to 5. So that's your last chance. And then, of course, we've got all the 2024 events. And I just want to throw out one little tidbit. Queensland is back 4th of October to 7th of October. So keep that, get that in your calendar. Mm. And all the other usual events, but... Details to come later on for those. Horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events is your website. Shirley, what have you got? Um, nothing. Okay. And your website for that is triple uh, W. Brian, what have you got? Uh, I've got a couple of things. So first of all, um, a retrospective one was uh, the BMW uh, centenary event at uh, one of the raceways at Calder Park here in Melbourne. Fantastic day. And um, uh, one of, well, the guy I know, a local orthopaedic surgeon, Dougal James, brought down his 1923 BMW, the first um, 
a version of BMW motorcycles ever produced to be shown there. So it was a fantastic day. Um, and leading on to that uh, is um, the next uh, BMW event, which of course is the 50th anniversary of the BMW R90S. So there's an event at a little place called Lanelli. Um, which is a, a campground. The local um, historical motorcycle club have bought an old um, schoolhouse out there and um, uh, we'll be camping out there with um, heaps and heaps of beautiful, pristine and not so pristine BMW R90S motorcycles, which are still running around. So that's on the, I think it's the 21st of September, Cheryl, is that right? Yeah, that yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah, that weekend. Um, so that's coming up. That might be a bit late for this, but anyway, uh, the next event which I'm involved in is Motorcyclist Awareness Month here in Australia. This is new for you, right? Well, yeah, it is. Um, we started it last year. Uh, I, you know, I, I stole the idea straight off uh, the American um, yeah, uh, things they do in May over there. So um, I've got government funding to run it, and we've um, nice. we've kicked off with um, some um, vids that uh, they've made up, some uh, promotional material with some riders that'll go on um, free-to-air television and on websites and all sorts of places about um, the awareness of motorcycles on our roads, Ke- keeping an eye out for them. And on the 1st of October... There's going to be a launch at Federation Square in Melbourne where the Minister for um, the Transport here in Victoria will be there and uh, I've arranged for um, mate of mine, uh, motors, uh, Isle of Man motorcycle racer Cam Donald and winner over there, I should say, Cam Donald, um, to be the Ambassador for Motorcyclist Awareness Month this year and he will bring along, I'm hoping, um, the... He races um, classic motorcycles over here, and there's the, a, 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 a couple of guys, the Horner brothers, uh, producing Vincent HRD uh, motorcycles for racing, and um, hmm. these are uh, well over a hundred thousand US dollars worth of machinery that Cam races, and um, we'll have that on display. Um, at least the, the solo, and I know there's a sidecar that they um, campaign as well. I'm not sure if they'll bring the sidecar, but definitely the, the solo bike will be there. We want as many motorcyclists as we can get at Federation Square on the 1st of October, Sunday the 1st of October, to show the Minister that we care about motorcycling and that we want to improve the safety and uh, uh, people's awareness of motorcycles on our roads and that they are a legitimate form of transport and should not be ignored. Um, they reduce um, pollution, they reduce congestion, they make it easy, you can park them easily on the streets and we're trying to raise that profile about motorcycling here in Australia. So please, if you can. When you're successful, that was Brian. When you're successful with that, Brian, because you will be and loving what you're doing and the whole attitude, can you guys please come over here and tell our lot <laughs> the same message? Because I tell you what, they're walking around with flipping blinders on. It's just gobsmacking. Yeah, I know. Um, there are parts of the UK now where to, to park a motorcycle, you have to pay the same as a, a, a car price, even in residential areas. And um, it just when policies have been made, they're talking about bicycles and about cars and trucks and vans, but not even a single mention 
of motorcyclists. Yep. It's just fucking yep. mad. It's well, really frustrating. It's completely bigoted. Yep, that's right. Just, just got... for clarity here, he said barking mad. I thought he said barking as well. I'm quite passionate about it and, you know, as you can tell, and I really think that we need to fill this space and, and get it in the heads of the legislators that uh, it's, it's a legitimate form of transport. It's a fun way of transport. Yes, it has more dangers, but by gee, they get, you get a lot out of it. And uh, there's, there's all forms. We want scooters. We want commuters. We want, you know, uh, big bikes, little bikes, doesn't matter. We want you to come along and show them that we are a legitimate form of transport in this country. Uh, Brian, what you do for motorcyclists, I tell you, I'm just impressed yeah. by all the time. Every time you say something else you're doing, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and I'm just so glad you're doing it. It's, it's just impressive for motorcyclists in general. Do you have a website for that? Uh, it, it's it, it's on Facebook at the moment. Um, we're just building okay. it up. Um, it's just Motorcyclist Awareness Month on Facebook. You'll find it. Um, okay. As I said, we're just building it up uh, right now. It's it's got the the thing in relation to calling for riders for our um, campaign. Well, we we did that. We did the filming the other day, and uh, that's come out well. So it's about head okay. checking. It's about making space for motorcyclists and. Uh, on our, on our freeways, uh, the gantries will be flashing up with Motorcyclist Awareness Month and all that sort of stuff. So keep your eyes That's open right. for that. That's great. Okay. Michelle, what have you got? Well, I have um, just a reminder in case people haven't heard before that I am involved, heavily involved and passionate about supporting the women's motorcycling community on an international level. So I currently serve as president of the Women's International Motorcycle Association, the USA division. And anybody that's a USA female rider that wants to join our group can do so. Membership is still free. If you go to wima-usa.com, so that's W-I-M-A-USA.com. And for uh, women who are listening in other countries, please go to our international website where you can get information on divisions or chapters that might be available um, and active in your own country. And that's at wimaworld.com, W-I-M-A world.com. And just on a side note, I wanted to say that here in the USA, um, we do a, and, and we, as if I'm involved in it, I'm not, but there is an event that exists called Motorcycle Cannonball. And it is a uh, coast-to-coast run of vintage bikes that are pre-1933. And I, uh, it's just wrapping up actually in the U.S. It started in early September. It runs for almost three weeks. So it's just wrapping up um, a coast-to-coast ride. But it always reminds me every September, it's actually every other year when it happens, of the time that I got to meet Brian and Shirley and attend my first Horizons Unlimited event. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a small world. And I've probably told the story before because I'm, of course, from Sturgis, South Dakota. And the cannonball came through Sturgis in 2012. And they had a vintage kind of show and shine night with all these really amazing vintage bikes, again, pre-1933. And all of the crews that ride and race them across country were dressed in vintage clothing, etc. And they did a show and shine one evening. And I attended the event and took pictures of all of these vintage bikes and kind of wandered around. And about a week later was out in Barrie, Ontario for Horizons Unlimited meet and got to talking to Brian and Shirley when I got to meet them in person. And they were talking about 
just having come from Sturgis and having been <laughs> an event that same exact night and what a small world it was. So, yeah. so just wanted to say shout out to you guys for being there. And so it's our, our friendship anniversary, so to speak. And oh, so, nice. I'll go to mate who's writing that right now. Ah, oh, fantastic. And so thank you to Grant and Susan for your event, which allowed Brian and Shirley and I to connect and have this funny small world moment. And, and what a fantastic thing that Horizon nice Unlimited one. events provide and such a great community. Yeah. And Grant and Susan were at that meeting. Yes, I were. I know you don't, I don't get to all of them. I I don't think that Grant was at that one. I think oh, actually, um, no, Susan, Susan was. was. Yeah. Yes. And I got we had to meet breakfast her. together and Ken and yeah. Carol were there and round the yes. world ball and yeah, it was good fun. Yeah. Lots of people. It was, it yeah. was as always such an inspiring place to meet fellow travelers and yeah. such a great community. So yeah, I wanted to make sure that we just kind of had a little friendship anniversary here <laughs> in our chat this month. So yeah. We should have champagne nice, and cake. Very nice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'll, I'll raise my glass of whiskey and in your nice direction. Cheers. There we go. <laughs> Michelle, just to, to to confirm here, so your website is wema-usa.com and the, the world one is just wema world, no hyphen. That's correct. Wemaworld.com. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Thank you, Jim. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Another fun day. Thank you. That was great. God, what admissions. For sure. Thank you. <laughs> What's that? So many admissions. <laughs> confession, sure. Yeah. Can we um, can we have a request for next month, Jim? No sure. topics that make us be honest, open, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> revealing of our yeah. insecurities and inadequacies. And may I just say that if I am actually being extradited to Panama during next month's episode, <laughs> my apologies for not making the call. <laughs> We've heard the stories of people carving stamps out of potatoes and stuff like that. I think Grant's told the story, not that it was him, but someone. And yeah, I, I, I have heard those stories and I hate to even tell the truth about it, but I did. So uh, there uh, we are. We're proud of you, Michelle. Good on you, Michelle. Sam, didn't hey. you put that in one of your books? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I That's very brave of me, wasn't yeah. it? Hang on a minute. Was that <laughs> brave? No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to buy the book, then you can read it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's great. Thank you very much, everyone. That was wonderful. I appreciate it. And I guess it's till next month. Goodbye. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. Have really good months, everybody. Stay well, everybody. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for traveling overland in latin america both of those titles available on amazon as well she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the chalet motel you can find out more about that at chalet motel 
And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here, adventureriderradio.com. 